Hi listeners, it's Lucy. Please don't scroll ahead. This is a very quick message, I promise, to ask a very easy favour. At the end of each episode, as the credits roll, you'll hear a request from us to rate and review the show. Now, for those of you that are awesome podcast listeners rather than podcast makers, you might actually have no idea what a huge difference those things make. A significant factor in the visibility of a podcast on almost all listening platforms is down to the number and quality of ratings and subscriptions. So, if you are one of our dedicated listeners, hi, I know some of you as far away as Australia, so thanks. If you're currently not driving your car or changing a baby's nappy, can you please just look down at your phone right now as I'm talking and hit subscribe and five-star rating? Both of them are on the homepage of the show and they are both only a one-click job. But oh my God, what a lot of joy and gratitude I would feel at those one clicks. It makes such a difference to the show's potential to keep going. Now, enjoy the episode and thanks for listening. Hi, Lucy Eaton here, host of Hear Me Out. We've had lots of requests from our amazing listeners asking how they can support the show. So before we invite today's special guest on, I wanted to let you know that we are officially now on Patreon. This means that you can invest in the channel monthly, and in return you get all kinds of perks from bonus footage to having your own questions put to our starry guests. Just head to our page on patreon.com slash podhearmeout. We've popped the link in the show notes below, and we would love to have you join the family. You're about to hear a brief conversation with an incredible actor. Part autobiographical journey, part literary analysis and part late night chat in the theatre bar, this is Hear Me Out and I'm your host, Lucy Eaton. Please welcome to the stage, Claire Skinner. Hello, how lovely to hear you see you. Welcome to the very first episode of Hear Me Out and thank you so much for coming on. Pleasure. I think. Well, fingers crossed. We are going to have a hopefully delightful and insightful conversation today about your favourite speech, because that is what Hear Me Out is all about, is I just want to speak to some of the actors that I love and respect most in the world about some pieces of plays that they're really enthusiastic about, because I think as actors, we often get the best experience of a performance I always think Mm -hmm. sort of that an audience actually, they see something once, it washes over them and hopefully creates an amazing response. But we have such a privilege as an actor because we understand the minutiae of everything. Yes. And that's what I want to let them in on. Oh, yeah. Lovely. It's a lovely idea. Yeah. So what is the speech you're going to chat to us about today? I would like to chat about... Uh, First of all, the play is Moonlight by Harold Pinter. Mm -hmm. And the speech that I have chosen is is the last speech of the play, which is spoken by the character Bridget. And who is Bridget? Can you give us a very brief synopsis maybe of the play for people who don't know it? Yes. So this play is about a family, a man called Andy, who is seemingly on his deathbed. He is... He is dying and he's sort of looking back over his life with his wife. Mm. It's about, yes, it's about him looking over his life and then talking about the various relationships in their life and the relationships with their sons and the daughter. Mm. It seems who has died at an early age. Sounds like a barrel of laughs. Well, (laughs) it kind of... It's kind of not as depressing as it, as it sounds. It's not unfunny. No, yeah. <laughs> it's not unfunny because he does do that, doesn't he, Pinter? He mm. kind of, in the middle of it all, there's a kind of dialogue with the two 
sons, which is kind of would it feels like sort of classic Pinto, where they're kind of talking slightly at odds with each other and there's kind of it's kind of quite vaudevillian in a funny kind of way mm. the sons that's the way they operate and I think the way they're operating like that because they can't there's obviously you you glean knowledge you're not actually told explicitly but it feels like their relationship with their father's been very difficult and combative or there's mm. there's difficulty there so they kind of deal with it by they don't deal with it they they play they muck about they mm. play and is that you said something just then where you said classic Pinter and what would you yeah. deem as sort of classic Pinter characteristics? Well, if you were being maybe a bit generalised mm. about it, you know, people talking at odds, there's a sort of flavour sometimes of vaudeville. They give each other sort of odd names and, and talk across each other and talk opaquely about mm. about this relationship and and... And if I'm honest, that that's the part of the play that I found most difficult. Mm. Generally speaking, I do find Pinter quite difficult to access sometimes because of this slight sort of mysterious quality to it. I can completely agree with you, Claire. And I, I mm. think I often find myself questioning whether it's an Emperor's New Clothes type situation because I, I find myself often surrounded yes. by people that are so adoring and yeah. awestruck by Pinter. And I have to say, I respect him from a sort of studying point of view, but I always find it very hard to connect, actually, when I'm watching. Yes. Well, this is it. This is why this and it's so odd over all the years. And I've been now been working for about 33 years. Mm. This is the first play that came into my mind when you asked me to think about the favourite speech, because because there's such a connection to it that I don't think I've had with another play. Right. And I think it's because it occupies a really funny place. It's, And I've been thinking about it a lot recently because there's been, oh gosh, I don't want this to sound too miserable, but there has been a sort of a passing in the family. So it was in my mind. Mm. It occupies this place where someone is straddling two worlds. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Andy is, he may or may not be dying. I, I think he is dying. And he's sort of occupying this world and he's kind of transitioning to this other world. And for me, when I first read the play, when I was, because I played, she's 16, by the way, Bridget. And I played her when I was <laughs> 28. 28 going on 16. Exactly. Yeah. Always youthful. <laughs> but she was sort of, <laughs> she's an idea of a daughter, I think. She's, she's an idea of loss. And it's something that, she, this this area really appealed to me because when I sorry I I digressed a bit when I took the part, my own father had just died right and it, I felt like I was in that funny zone where art was reflecting reality a little art yes and that you are it's funny when someone dies sometimes isn't it because you kind of suddenly get open to new and different things mm. and I felt that there was a flavour about this writing because it was occupying those two worlds that just kind of took my breath away and mm. it's really hard to be specific about it because it's very much flavor and mood and there's there was one I had one speech at the beginning where you kind of place this girl and she's never in she's never in a kind of conventional space she's in a different space away from the other actors right with a different lighting state mm. 
and she's describing the areas that she's in and they're sort of surreal areas and mm. at one point she says she's talking about where she is and she says there is a smell of burning a velvet odor very deep an echo like a bell and for some reason that i can't it just it's not it's not at the forefront of the brain. It's it's happening somewhere else in the body, like an echo. Mm. If I don't sound too, if that doesn't sound too, I'm sure it does sound all horribly pretentious. But <laughs> I, it's it's how it's just how I responded to it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think some plays maybe this is a perfect example of it because he wrote it, didn't he? When his mother, I think, had just died. I think yes. it was very much a yeah. response to a family death. And I think there are certain plays like, I don't know whether you ever saw Tom Paine based on nothing, which is by an American writer called Will Eno. And it's Mm -hmm. to oversimplify it. It's about heartbreak. You know, it's about Mm -hmm. a sort of quite toxic relationship. And and I remember actually my brother, Simon Evans, who we have both worked with, he directed it many years ago and he'd sort of recently gone through a heartbreak and Mm. sort of it was only when I saw it when that team had Mm -hmm. made it, that I understood it. I remember reading it before and not getting the play at all. Yeah. A bit like Moonlight. It was quite an abstract exploration of that idea. And having not gone through it myself, I couldn't really tap into what was being explored. No, I get that completely. And maybe Moonlight is a bit like that. I think it is. And on paper, as you say, it is. It's like, well, I don't get that. And also, and certainly when we were playing it, Mm. people would come and go, Oh my God, that, and it was only like about 90 minutes long. People would be really affected or just go, or get, one of my friends was just furious, <laughs> furious with it because it was just too oblique and mysterious. And they were just irritated by it. Well, because you feel left out as well. It's hard when you see a play and you can see that half the audience are having an incredibly visceral response and you're not having it. And I've been in those situations, you know, where you leave and you do feel almost angry. Like, what was I missing? Why didn't I get that? You know, we go to the theatre to feel something, so... Yeah, and it sort of feels like you're being, yes, you're being left out or maybe this is the thing that they talk about, I think, about something being sort of elite or you're sort Mm. of being part of a club. But all I I mean... Yeah, I just, it was just a kind of really basic response. And why did this speech then? Why why was this speech such a sort of standout part for you? Because it's so weird because normally, is it's, it's true, isn't it? When you're working on a play, I'm quite forensic and I like to know everything is nailed down and I understand everything. And my hope being that I understand the sense of everything and then I can kind of throw it away. Yeah. But with this, I... I found it almost like I couldn't and I had to almost stand you know like you know when you have a thought at the back of your head it was a bit like that I just had to have the thought at the back of my head sort of just to just go not look at it directly in the eye yeah exactly because if I look at this directly in the eye the sense will melt away that's really fascinating. That's great. Yeah. I know how forensic you are, that word you use. Yes. And I'm very much the same. I think we're quite similar in that regard. So yes. it is really fascinating actually to hear that there was a play or a speech where you did just effectively like throw off the shackles of understanding everything. Yeah, yeah, and just say it. Yeah. And also with one of the interesting things, another amazing sort of privilege we had with working on this play is that Harold Pinter was in the room. Well, so I wanted to ask about that because I Mm. think it's worth saying 
on air here that you were in the first production of it. Yes. It was the inaugural production. Yes. And it was at the Almeida Theatre, which is just one of my favourite spaces in the whole of London. And you had, who did you have? Douglas Hodge and you had Michael Sheen uh-huh. and Ian Holm. In, Ian Holm and Anna Massey. And That's Anna it. was just one of my, oh, well, obviously. I, I admired her so much. I was mm. so fond of her. And mm. she had a sort of mentoring quality mm. about her. Not in, She probably doesn't even know that she did that for me, but she did. Mm. She did. So it was just extraordinary watching watching those two work together as well. But um, David Laveau directed it, yeah. but Harold was was in the room. And interestingly, and I know other actors have reported this as well, if you ever asked him what something for means. the sense of... Yes, he would go... He literally did say to me once, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, yeah. that doesn't help me. Well, that No, but I need... Yeah. Yes, and like we said, I need, I need to answers know. from you. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I saw... I wish I'd written it down now, but I, I saw a lovely quote, actually, by Pinter that sort of said, you know, someone once asked him how he writes his plays or something, mm. you know, how he mm. comes up with the ideas and the characters. And he sort of said something along the lines of, they do what they do and I write it down. You know, almost like the characters yeah. do a thing in my head and I put it on paper. Yes. I, I don't know why they do what they do. So he didn't offer much help, I guess. <laughs> no, but, and yet that was strangely helpful because you get, because you th- yeah. were thinking, well, if if he doesn't know, I can then just sort of, it felt like, oh God, it's so hard not to sound pretentious, isn't it? <laughs> it's almost like singing through a log and amplifying your voice or something. And all these years later, that that this is what I still feel I am. I, I suppose it is because it's been in the air. There's been this saying goodbye to, to someone dear. Mm. But nevertheless, it is the play that's that's done that. And the poetry of the play. I mean, beautiful. Do you remember any specific moments where you did ask him for clarity and didn't get it? Or at what point in the rehearsal period did you realise, did you get that freedom to not ask? I think it was quite early on. <laughs> well, at the beginning, she opens the play and she just, she's in a space all on her own. And I probably, I think I probably asked him where... Where is that he space? He thought she was. Yeah. Yes. And I think he said, I don't know. Hmm. And I find that very helpful. And in, in the play, they kind of... She was in a different space. She was sort of raised up. She was... They had an acting, a real space. And then there was a space where Bridget stuff kind of happened as a dream. And then at points, the father, Andy, there's one particular point where he got up and, you know, when you think you've heard something and then you see her and he's just feeling her mm. around him. Something quite supernatural. Yeah, yeah, it was. And it, and it did drive people mad. And in fact, during that first or the second speech, uh, someone in the audience one night, it was horrific. It was because she was very quiet and it was a very ethereal character. Someone in the audience just shouted, speak up. <laughs> and then tried to get the whole of the rest of the audience involved was going, I can't hear her. Can you hear her? I can't hear her. It was like he tried to whip up the whole of the audience to sort of get me Start to speak a rebellion. up it was just horrific and then it turns out somebody did tell me that he he actually was either wearing a, a hearing aid or was using the loop system but okay I think maybe sort that out before you start shouting at actors oh really. my god no it was horrible <laughs> traumatizing 
it was traumatizing because now I'm obsessed with. Can you hear me? Oh, Claire. I can't have anyone shout at me again. I was interested by what you said about characters talking at odds with each other and mm. Pinter himself often not putting weight on every single meaning of every word and all of that. And do you think mm. do you think there's an element to which people are so reverential towards Pinter? that they perhaps do him a disservice nowadays because there's such care on everything. Mm. And the only reason I ask it is because I know there's such a stress on like his pauses oh, and the yes. silences and the pace. Possibly, with the, because, because much is made of the pauses versus the silence. So he writes pause and silence at different points. And the silences are final, I think, and a pause is where stuff is happening. I, I think... I think as long as stuff is happening in a pause, mm. it's good. But if it's if it's just a reverential pause, then what's the point in that? Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's empty, isn't it? But it just postpones the time when we can have our post show drink. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm quite. I mean, I'm all for it. I'm all for the pause and the silence, and I'm all for punctuation. And I like mm. ellipses and things like that. So that you get clues, mm. and you know he was careful about them. I heard because I saw the Donmar Warehouse one that was seven or eight years ago. And I remember reading around then an implication that he'd almost done this one as a writing exercise. Oh, I find that quite interesting as well, knowing now that it was in the aftermath of his mother's death. Mm. It was apparently written in the space of a few weeks, actually, and that it, yeah. it was just almost a diary entry, perhaps almost like a gushing out of emotion. Mm. And it was his first full-length play in... 20 years or something oh yeah 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 since betrayal wasn't it yeah that's right so it was yeah it felt like that I mean that's Mm. certainly the vibe I got it was just very fluent and very and also it was it was Ian Holmes first excursion back after having some difficulties being on stage as well so but to me it just felt very fluent and fluid Mm, and mm. moving Mm, mm. it didn't feel sort of static and stuffy yeah were there any particularly memorable, wonderful moments from doing this this production? Just, I think it just as a whole that having I knew when I was in the room that it was a privilege that I was listening to Harold Pinter mm. sort of talking about his play and and as I say, watching Anna and Ian and Douglas and Michael and. It was. Did you feel very much part of a team? Because it must be quite hard as yes. well you're, when you're playing a role who does, in terms of the story, sit so separately to everyone else. Yeah, but I did though, and also that was a, a lot to do with Anna, right? Because Anna used to, when we went into the West End, she'd kind of. I had to go down to see her. They didn't have to. I wanted to. Mm. After the half, I'd knock on her door and she'd go, "Come in, marmalade." She called me marmalade. Oh, <laughs> and um. We'd just go up to this stage together because she wanted that connection as well. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's that's something that people who aren't actually in the industry might underestimate is how much mm. sometimes you have to almost force or forge certain connections. And I don't mean force yes. as in that you wouldn't have got on or you wouldn't have, but there mm-hmm. is an element of to present the right story on stage. Sometimes mm. you mm. do have to manipulate situations backstage that put you in the right headspace to deliver exactly. that story so she could well, so we could feel that connection yeah so we could both in a way feel loss 
love and loss. Mm-mm. Was there, I've been lucky enough once in my career so far to end a play. And I think there's quite a power. Mm. Like I found it very emotional, mm. um, at least when you love the play, because we do not always love the things we're in. <laughs> no, we, no, we do not. No, we do not, sadly. But was it quite an emotional thing to end this play? Can you remember what it was like to end it on the last night? What I remember about it is, and, and, and I've had it a few times, is when you love something mm. and you really connect with it, but your character doesn't necessarily have the space for that emotion. That, yes. that, that there is a repression that you have to have and keep. Mm. That's quite difficult. I found that in Joe Egg as well, because I was, I was required to kind of keep a lid on it. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I, I do remember struggling with that at the end mm. of like, no, I mustn't, I mustn't wobble because that's not my job. No, my job isn't to do the wobbling. Yes, Claire must not show underneath Bridget. Yeah, exactly. Bridget doesn't know. I read that he finished this in Mauritius. Oh, well, that will, yes, that will. Does that make sense suddenly? Yes, because <laughs> it's where she's going through all these um, lovely plants. She talks about jacaranda and, uh... oh, here we go. I'm walking slowly in a dense jungle. I'm surrounded by hibiscus, oleander, bougainvillea, jacaranda. The turf under my feet is soft. Yeah. Pop that bit in after, <laughs> after Mauritius. Oh, in fact, that's the same speech that has the velvet odor, very deep mm. and echo like a bell. Have you seen it since your performance of it? No. I wonder how I would respond to it. Yeah. And seeing it done, obviously, very differently. Again, when you've had a good experience with something, it can often be quite hard to watch someone else do it because you have such a personal connection with. <gasps> that part and that story it can seem a little bit like a violation to see someone else inhabit it yes it's 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 odd that one isn't it yeah it there's a sort of you feel really proprietorial over the Mm. your responses to it and be interesting to talk to other actresses who've done Mm. it I have to say I feel I feel quite proprietorial even with actors and cast members Mm. I often find it I find it quite hard when actors I've been in something with, I see them on their next project, you know, because there's an element yes. of you've sort yes. of the in doing a play yourself. Again, I keep coming back to this, but when it's been a, a positive experience, there's such a bond formed. It mm. feels like someone's done you a wrong to sort of. Yeah, betrayed you. Yeah, it's like a divorce. It's sort of yeah. they've decided to go and join another family now. And you go, oh, I need to get used to the idea of seeing you with that other family. <laughs> I know it's funny because Simon said that at the end of. Oh, did he? Joe Egg, there was something about Patricia was going off to work and then we were talking about a director and he was going, what, you've been like cheating You've been on with me. other directors. You've been with other directors. I remember doing a play once and just seeing one of the actors in a rehearsal shot from a previous play and sort of striding yeah. up to him going, what do you think this is? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Who have you been acting with? <laughs> well, Claire, why don't you give us a little recital? We would love to hear the final speech complete with its four pauses. <laughs> Um, for everyone to enjoy so I will shut up and sit back okay someone once said to me I think it was my mother or my father anyway they said to me we've been invited to a party you've been invited too but you'll have to come by yourself alone 
You won't have to dress up. You just have to wait until the moon is down. They told me where the party was. It was in a house at the end of a lane. But they told me the party wouldn't begin until the moon had gone down. I got dressed in something old and I waited for the moon to go down. I waited a long time. Then I set out for the house. The moon was bright and quite still. When I got to the house, it was bathed in moonlight. The house, the glade, the lane were all bathed in moonlight. But the inside of the house was dark and all the windows were dark. There was no sound. I stood there in the moonlight and waited for the moon to go down. Thank you so much. Pleasure. Hear Me Out is a Lucy Eaton Productions podcast. Music composed by Tristam Kay and artwork by Rebecca Bright. If you've enjoyed what you heard, please subscribe. And I know it's a mini faff, but if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, a rating and a review would mean the world. Finally, you can find us on social media at Pod Hear Me Out, and we're on YouTube, where you can catch visual clips of the show. Right, that's it. Lucy Eaton, exiting stage left. Mm-hmm.